the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf, Father Z, and another podcast. This time we are going to hear some poetry, and since it is cold and wintry where I am, most of the poems will have a wintry aspect, with one exception. Let's dig in right away. first poem is by the 20th century American convert, author, and Trappist monk Thomas Merton, who died in 1968. Merton wrote a great deal of poetry, and quite a bit of it is good, too. And there are quite a few poems with a Marian dimension among his works. We'll hear now Thomas Merton's poem written in 1949, entitled to the Immaculate Virgin on a Winter Night. Lady, the night is falling, and the dark steals all the blood from the scarred west. The stars come out and freeze my heart with drops of untouchable music, frail as ice, and bitter as the New Year's cross. Where in the world has any voice prayed to you, lady, for the peace that's in your power? In a day of blood and many beatings, I see the governments rise up behind the steel horizon and take their weapons and begin to kill. Where in the world has any city trusted you? Out where the soldiers camp, the guns begin to thump, and another winter-time comes down to seal our years in ice. The last train cries out and runs in terror from this farmer's valley, where all the little birds are dead. The roads are white, the fields are mute, there are no voices in the wood, and trees make gallows up against the sharp-eyed stars. Oh, where will Christ be killed again in the land of these dead men? Lady, the night has got us by the heart, and the whole world is tumbling down. Words turn to ice in my dry throat, praying for a land without prayer, walking to you on water all winter in a year that wants more war.
There is a poem by Robert Frost that caught my eye and ear. It has to do with winter and with a bird. And as you may know, I sometimes watch birds that come to the feeders outside my office window. Robert Frost, the American Poet Laureate, died in 1963. And uh, some of you may remember that in the depth of a winter, the winter of 1961, he spoke verses at the inauguration of President Kennedy. And he is an oft-quoted poet and is in many anthologies of American poetry. Listen for the use of gold in this. He picks up gold more than once. And uh, also how he juxtaposes crystal in opposition to smoke. And there's also a lovely image in this. I think we've all seen uh, how clouds can stand out so sharply in the west as the night is falling and when the sky is just at that turning point and the sky seems to be in so many layers some things seeming so close and some so far anyway I think this is what Frost is doing in his poem and of course it's called looking for a sunset bird in winter The West was getting out of gold. The breath of air had died of cold. When shooing home across the white, I thought I saw a bird alight. In summer, when I passed the place, I had to stop and lift my face. A bird with an angelic gift was singing in it, sweet and swift. No bird was singing in it now. A single leaf was on the bough. And that was all there was to see in going twice around the tree. From my advantage on a hill, I judged that such a crystal chill was only adding frost to snow as gilt to gold that wouldn't show. A brush had left a crooked stroke of what was either cloud or smoke from north to south across the blue. A piercing little star was through. The whimsical and always clever Ogden Nash has something to say about winter and our complaints, which can grow more numerous as we get older and colder and catch colds in the winter. Ogden Nash died in 1971, and he is best known for his light and clever and infinitely playful verses, which sometimes use words and even coin words to create amusing little twists. And this is a little twist with some real jealousy at its heart. This is Ogden Nash's winter complaint. And 
It's a complaint that's not just about his cold. Now, when I have a cold, I'm careful with my cold. I consult a physician and do as I am told. I muffle up my torso in woolly, woolly garb and quaff great flagons of sodium bicarb. I munch on aspirin. I lunch on water. And I wouldn't dream of osculating anybody's daughter. And to anybody's son, I wouldn't say a howdy, for I am a sufferer magna cum laude. I don't like germs, but I'll keep the germs I've got. Will I take a chance of spreading them? Definitely not. I sneeze out the window, and I cough up the flu, and I live like a hermit till the germs get through. And because I am considerate, because I am wary, I am treated by my friends like Typhoid Mary. Now when you have a cold, you are careless with your cold. You are cocky as a gangster who has just been paroled. You ignore your physician, you eat steaks and oxtails, you stuff yourself with starches, you drink lots of cocktails, and you claim that gargling is a time of waste, and you won't take soda, for you don't like the taste. Then you prowl around parties full of selfish bliss, and greet your hostess with a genial kiss. You convert yourself into a deadly missile. You exhale hellos like a steamboat whistle. You sneeze at the subway and you cough at dances and let everybody else take their own good chances. You are a bronchial boor, a bacterial blighter, and you get more invitations than a gossip writer. Yes, your throat is froggy, and your eyes are swimmy, and your hand is clammy, and your nose is brimmy. But you woo my girls and their hearts you jimmy, while I sit here with the cold you give me. Thomas Campion was a doctor and a poet and a composer of many pieces for the lute, and he died in 1620. In 1617, Campion wrote a poem called now winter nights enlarge, referring, of course, to the way the hours of darkness grow before the turning of the earth's sloping voyage at the winter solstice. Now Campion, in his poem, writes of a common theme in poetry of his day, courtly love, and the pastimes of courtly love during the dark, cold days of winter. And you can hear how he plays with words and images in this poem. That was uh, very important for them back then. They didn't have Xboxes and phones to text on and the internet and football games to watch. They had to entertain each other with uh, the playing of music and uh, the use of words in clever ways and the telling of stories and singing songs and poetry. And so those uh, playing with words and and clever rhymes and great images were very important. Now, uh, for example, uh, there is in this poem the image of honey love. Of course, love is very sweet, yes, but uh, he juxtaposes it with the image of yellow 
waxen lights, in other words, beeswax candles, uh, that, of course, had to light their dark nights. Um, you're going to have to tune your ear in a different way. We speakers of modern English on either side of the Atlantic uh, don't rhyme words in the same or pronounce words in the same way that they did at the time of what we call early modern English. The English used at the time Campion and William Shakespeare were at work. Uh, we, For example, uh, in modern English, the words tread and read don't rhyme, but they did rhyme back then. Uh, the words love and remove don't rhyme for us, but they did back then. We have a different set of vowels in our uh, speech inventory than they did uh, when they were speaking early modern English. Some other words might uh, be helpful for you to know ahead of time. Measures, for example, as I scan through this, a measure is a is a dance, but it's also it also makes reference to how you measure out your syllables in a poem. Uh, love, uh, throughout this thing, is described as a bit of a pastime, a dalliance, but this was very commonplace in Renaissance poetry. You might remember, just off the top of my head, the Franco Zeffirelli version of the movie Romeo and Juliet, when at the Capulet's ball, a young man stands out to sing and everybody gets quiet and he sings about courtly love as the pastime that never will pall. It will never fail or grow pale, of course, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the two lovers in that play, but I digress. Let's hear Now Winter Nights Enlarge by Thomas Campion. Now winter nights enlarge the number of their hours, and clouds their storms discharge upon the airy towers. Let now the chimneys blaze, and cups o'erflow with wine. Let well-tuned words amaze with harmony divine. Now yellow waxen lights shall wait on honey love, while youthful revels masks and courtly sights sleep's leaden spells remove. This time doth well dispense with lovers' long discourse. Much speech hath some defense, though beauty no remorse. All do not all things well. Some measures comely tread, some knotted riddles tell, some poems smoothly read. The summer hath his joys, and winter his delights, though love and all his pleasures are but toys. They shorten tedious nights. My grandfather, God rest his soul, had a prodigious memory and a wry sense of humor. He could recite from memory books of the Bible and whole reams of poetry. Among the poets he enjoyed reciting, the most was Robert Service, who died in 1958. Robert W. Service, uh, who was in life actually a bank clerk, was sometimes called the Bard of the Yukon because of his poems about Canada and the Klondike and the like. 
Uh, he actually uh, wasn't actually a prospector and all this, but many people thought he was. He was born in England, and he moved to Canada when he was young. Now, these days, his poetry has fallen into a bit of disfavor, uh, perhaps because he uses ethnic nicknames we are not quite so inclined to hear today without being censorious, even about things that were written in the long distant past. Uh, and perhaps because he just wasn't all that great a poet, but he's an entertaining poet and uh, very playful and lots of fun. Let's hear one of the poems that made him famous and one which my grandfather could reel off at a request, The Cremation of Sam McGee, a great poem for a chilly winter. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was that night on the marge of Lake Labarge I cremated Sam McGee. Now, Sam McGee was from Tennessee, where the cotton blooms and blows. Why he left his home in the south to roam round the pole, God only knows. He was always cold, but the land of gold seemed to hold him like a spell, though he'd often say in his homely way that he'd sooner live in hell. On a Christmas day we were mushing our way over the Dawson Trail. Talk of your cold, through the parka's fold it stabbed like a driven nail. If our eyes we'd close, then the lashes froze till sometimes we couldn't see. It wasn't much fun, but the only one to whimper was Sam McGee. And that very night, as we lay packed tight in our robes beneath the snow, and the dogs were fed, and the stars o'erhead were dancing heel and toe, he turned to me and, Cap, says he, I'll cash in this trip, I guess. And if I do, I am asking that you won't refuse my last request. Well, he seemed so low that I couldn't say no. Then he says, with a sort of a moan, It's the cursed cold, and it's got right hold, Till I'm chilled clean through to the bone. Yet taint being dead, it's my awful dread Of the icy grave that pains. So I want you to swear that, foul or fair, you'll cremate my last remains. A pal's last need is a thing to heed, so I swore I would not fail. And we started on at the streak of dawn, but God, he looked ghastly pale. He crouched on the sleigh, and he raved all day of his home in Tennessee, and before nightfall a corpse was all that was left of Sam McGee. There wasn't a breath in that land of death, and I hurried, horror-driven, with a corpse half-hid that I couldn't get rid because of a promise given. It was lashed to the sleigh, and it seemed to say, You may tax your brawn and brains, but you promised true, and it's up to you to cremate those last remains. Now a promise made is a debt unpaid, and the trail has its own stern code. In the days to come, though my lips were dumb in my heart, how I cursed that load. 
in the long, long night, by the lone firelight, while the huskies, round in a ring, howled out their woes to the homeless snows. Oh, God, how I loathed the thing. And every day that quiet clay seemed to heavy and heavier grow. And on I went, though the dogs were spent and the grub was getting low. The trail was bad, and I felt half mad, but I swore I would not give in. And I'd often sing to the hateful thing, and it hearkened with a grin. Till I came to the marge of Lake Labarge, and a derelict there lay. It was jammed in the ice, but I saw in a trice it was called the Alice May. And I looked at it, and I thought a bit, and I looked at my frozen chum. Then here, said I, with a sudden cry, is my crematorium. Some planks I tore from the cabin floor, and I lit the boiler fire. Some coal I found that was lying around, and I heaped the fuel higher. The flames just soared, and the furnace roared, such a blaze you seldom see. And I burrowed a hole in the glowing coal, and I stuffed in Sam McGee. Then I made a hike, for I didn't like to hear him sizzle so, and the heavens scowled and the huskies howled and the wind began to blow. It was icy cold, but the hot sweat rolled down my cheeks, and I don't know why, and the greasy smoke in an inky cloak went streaking down the sky. I do not know how long in the snow I wrestled with grisly fear, but the stars came out, and they danced about, ere again I ventured near. I was sick with dread, but bravely said, I'll just take a peep inside. I guess he's cooked, and it's time I looked. Then the door I opened wide. And there sat Sam, looking cool and calm, in the heart of the furnace roar. And he wore a smile you could see a mile, and he said, Please close that door. It's fine in here, but I greatly fear you'll let in the cold and storm. Since I left Plum Tree down in Tennessee, it's the first time I've been warm. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was that night on the marge of Lake Labarge. I cremated Sam McGee. Wordsworth, who died in 1850, wrote lots of sonnets. He was England's poet laureate and a very prolific one at that. He was one of the key poets who gave impetus to the English Romantic poetry movement. Well, here's a sonnet of Wordsworth, number 25 from the second part of his Ecclesiastical Sonnets. It was composed in about eight. 1821, and it has a very famous line in it, which I'm sure most of you have heard. And th there are some words here which will surprise you, however. Uh, ween, for example. 
with two e's is an archaic word meaning to think or to suppose or expect or intend ween will rhyme with uh, the last word in the poem terrine which here isn't a, a, a type of pate or something you put soup into. Uh, this is the adjective related to terra. So it means earthen or earthly, terrine, earthly. Uh, of course, this is a sonnet, and so there are three quatrains, and there's a couplet at the end. And you'll hear the structure is A-B-B-A. Here is The Virgin by William Wordsworth. Mother, whose virgin bosom was uncrossed with the least shade of thought to sin allied, woman, above all women glorified, our tainted nature's solitary boast, purer than foam on central ocean tossed, brighter than eastern skies at daybreak strewn with fancied roses than the unblemished moon before her wane begins on heaven's blue coast. Thy image falls to earth. Yet some, I ween, not unforgiven the suppliant knee might bend, as to a visible power, in which did blend all that was mixed and reconciled in thee, of mother's love with maiden purity, of high with low, celestial with terrene. And there you have it, just a few poems for winter and for Our Lady on her beautiful feast day. Until next time, this is Father John Zulsdorf, and please pray for me as I will for you. In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is Parson Brown He'll say, I'm married, we'll say, no man Oh, but you can do the job when you're in town Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire To 
face unafraid The plans that you made Walking in the winter wonderland 